Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, I will be chatting with Devin Breeden and Lauren Sturmer Holdaway about how nutritionists work with speech language pathologists to create a diet for patients with dysphagia. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minneapolis. You can find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Brain Injury Advisory Council, and I recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and our podcast at basisoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. So today we have two guests on the show. I have Lauren Sturmer Holdaway and Devin Breeden. And we're talking about how certain neurological conditions, including stroke, brain injury, and Parkinson's disease, cause muscles in the head and neck to have decreased strength, range of motion, coordination, and or speed, which can result in dysphagia, the medical term for difficulty or discomfort when swallowing. While it is a common post-stroke symptom, The severity of dysphagia can range from minimal to profound impairment and may require the temporary or permanent placement of a feeding tube. This treatment team includes a speech-language pathologist, or SLP, and a nutritionist who work together to create a proper nutrition plan. So Lauren Sturmer-Holdaway is a speech-language pathologist at Health South Rehabilitation Hospital of Escala, Florida, She received her bachelor's degree from Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio in 2006 and went on to earn her master's degree in speech-language pathology from the University of Montevallo in 2011. She has since worked in a variety of settings, including inpatient rehabilitation, acute care, outpatient rehabilitation, and skilled nursing. She currently works with adolescents and adults suffering from speech-language cognitive voice and swallowing disorders. And we have Devin Breeden, who is an RDNLD. He's a registered dietitian at Health South Rehabilitation Hospital of Escala, Florida. Devin graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in dietics and completed a dietic internship at Texas A&M Kingsville. He has been providing nutritional counseling in hospital and outpatient settings for over six years specializing in geriatric and rehabilitative nutrition. Devin also works with a population that has extensive medical comorbidities, sorry, I slaughtered that word, including diabetes, heart disease, and kidney disease. 
Devin is a member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the Florida Academy of Nutrition. So welcome to the show, Devin and Lauren. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, I think this is a condition. Um, I hear I hear a lot of TBI survivors talking about having difficulty swallowing or, you know, sometimes they just kind of, they seem to choke on their own spit sometimes, and they they don't quite even know what's wrong with them, and they don't realize that they have a condition. Um, so do one of you want to speak to dysphagia and what it is and how brain injury patients tend to have this problem? Um, yeah, uh, so about 60 Actually, the range is 60% to even more than 90% of TBI survivors will have some form of dysphagia. And dysphagia is just the medical term for swallowing problems that can be related to the oral stage of swallowing, which is kind of managing your food and your liquid in your mouth, uh, forming your food into kind of a nice cohesive ball, get it ready to swallow. Um, and then it can also refer to problems um, down in your throat area in the pharynx where the food is squeezed down to head toward the esophagus, which leads to your stomach. So you might have problems in, you know, in any of those areas starting from you know, the lips and then leading all the way down to the stomach. And that tends to happen a lot with TBI survivors because of the nature of their injuries. Um, a, a lot of times uh, the areas that are damaged you know, they relay messages to your your nerves that tell your muscles what to do. So if there has been damage anywhere along that communication tract, it can actually affect the way your muscles function, the timing of the muscles, the tone of your muscles, the strength, the range of motion, all of those things can be affected, which then lead to swallowing problems. So, you know, in the in the description in the opening that I read, it talks about, you know, these decreased strength or range of motion in the neck area, head and neck. Um, now, you know, like, it, for instance, when I fell, I fell on the ice, I suffered pretty severe whiplash. Um, would you say that that, that is one of, one of the causes of what happens, like that whiplash motion impairs that, that head and neck area? Not so much the whiplash itself. But if, if you had a whiplash-type injury, like people who are in car accidents often will have that whiplash-type injury. Uh-huh. And the way your brain performs in your skull when you're in that type of an accident, it actually knocks in multiple places within your skull. Um, and it can cause damage to different areas of your brain. And that damage is where it impairs the actual function. So it's not so much the muscular stuff there, per se, because that can cause issues with your, you know, your cervical spine, um, for sure, but it's more the actual damage to the brain itself or the nerves or the neural pathways that lead to the swallowing uh-huh. problem. So it's more of a neurological problem is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, there are so there are physical... Have... Sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> there, are, there are, you know, physical physical things that can affect your swallow. I mean, like people who have been in accidents and have broken jaws or who have lost teeth or um, say they have an actual uh, C-spine 
injury where they have to have surgery, like a cervical fusion that can cause swelling in the throat area, you know, that can certainly affect it. But the whiplash itself, not so much. It's mainly neurological and then sometimes those physical things that creep up from actual trauma to the face, the head, and the neck. Yeah, and I find it really interesting. Like, it's not something I had ever thought about, how working with a nutritionist, so, I mean, you've got the speech-language pathologist, and I assume you're helping them relearn how to use the muscles, and then the nutritionist giving them, I'm assuming you're giving them a diet of foods that are easier to swallow. Um, so maybe yeah, Evan wants to kind of... Yeah, I can chime in. Now, the big part in my role is um, most times with TBI patients, it's kind of the acute side when they are admitted for a TBI, depending on the severity of the TBI. Um, some patients will require ventilation after a TBI. So we've kind of stepped in before speech therapy would, would see the patient until they're stabilized, providing nutrition via non-oral route. Um, but in the rehab setting, once they are stabilized and they have uh, been discharged from the acute hospital, um, we do work hand-in-hand -hand with speech therapy to make sure the food is appropriate, given their swallowing deficits. Um, and I educate the kitchen staff to provide meals based on their recommendations. Um, the food will be easy to eat, um, depending on, obviously, dentition, swallowing ability, uh, any other recommendations speech therapy uh, provides to me. Um, and then we have menus based on the national dysphagia uh, diet recommendations for each patient. So. Um, we just make sure it's the right food for the right patient when it comes to that. And I also add in uh, restrictions based on medical history, whether they're diabetic, have heart disease, because that, that also plays a role in the recovery of the patient. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, when you have a patient that is also on a feeding tube to begin with, um, there's a lot of um, nutritional component to that as well, correct? Because you need to make sure they're getting the proper nutrients even though they can't actually eat. Uh, correct. Um, initially, with a patient who does have a TBI, um, depending on the severity, some patients may require um, up to two and a half times the amount of calories they would need if they weren't injured uh, compared to an average person. So there's definitely a need because patients who have TBIs uh, start in a uh, hypermetabolic state where they're burning calories because of uh, the brain function, because the body is burning through calories to kind of recover from the injury. Um, so initially, we are very important in getting nutrition started as early as possible so patients can recover and get to a rehab setting. Um, and then when they do advance to a diet, they may not be adequately um, getting enough intake by mouth, so they may still have a feeding tube long term when they get to the rehab setting. Um, which then we will provide a diet. It may be just for pleasure at that point until they're able to eat enough to maintain, um, but we'll provide supplemental feeding through a feeding tube to provide those calories. So that way they do not waste and they do not lose muscle mass while in therapy or in rehab. Um, so it's definitely very important to make sure that this, there's an option to continue nutrition support, whether through an IV or through a feeding tube, we make sure we do that while they're here. And I find that fascinating what you just said. Like, I've heard it before, um, and I guess it never really sunk in how when you first suffered a brain injury, you require more calories because um, your brain, you know, and I heard, I heard a statistic, and I know I'm going to get the number wrong, but maybe you know what I'm talking about, how um, children, when they're in, like, that middle school age and their brains are developing, 
they're consuming like twice the cal. They need twice the calories that we need as we get older because the brain is using so many calories to develop. Um, is that do you kind of know what I'm talking about with that with that statistic? Yeah, I mean, through all of adolescence, I mean, it depends on different life stages. I mean, initially, uh, you know, the first couple of years, some, uh, most children require different nutrients at different times, uh, mostly sugar and, and fat initially. But, um, yeah, as the brain grows, as we learn, as we go through, um, you know, through school, uh, it's really important, obviously, to feed the brain so that way, you know, it, it's, it's growing and we're learning and, and grasping things. That's why they always had that idea of brain food when you were in school doing testing because the food that you eat, results in how well your brain functions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as we get older, it does increase, and then it kind of plateaus when we get to around 18 to 24 years of age, uh, the requirement of, of calories mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, but as we grow, yeah, there's definitely a need, and it's dependent on multiple factors, whether the person's very active or inactive uh, throughout their adolescence. So then I assume it's a very similar component when you've injured your brain, um, that the brain needs extra energy to heal itself. That's correct. I mean, when you do end up having a brain injury, the body, um, it starts sending uh, impulses to the body to start increasing stress hormones too. So there's a lot of stress associated with the brain injury. Um, so it may not be specifically because they need it for growth, but it's because the brain is obviously sending all these signals and the body is burning through calories a lot faster. Uh, require, you know, obviously increasing energy expenditure in the body. Um, and it depends on where the brain injury is, too. There's certain brain injuries that require additional calories, and there's no exact science for every brain injury. And we right. have to kind of adjust it per person when we do see them. And we base it on different things like indirective, uh, indirect uh, calorimetry, measuring the output of a patient's oxygen and CO2 and adjusting the feeding based on that. So there's a lot that goes into it in the ICU uh, hospital setting. Now, Lauren, I kind of want to jump back to you, um, and let's talk a little more about dysphagia and how, like, someone that's maybe not hospitalized at all after their injury, and they go home and, like, they notice they're having, like, they're choking on their food a lot. They're having trouble swallowing or maybe even talking. Um, How would you, what, what would you recommend to people who are maybe having some of that difficulty but really don't understand, you know, why it's happening because they were never hospitalized. Um, so what would you recommend to someone in that situation? Um, typically what I would say is to follow up with the physician who's been following you. You know, if you weren't hospitalized, you won't necessarily have, like, a trauma team um, follow-up right. appointment or anything. So, you know, you can always go to your primary care uh, provider Explain your symptoms. You know, if it was a concussion, they, you know, you tell it you had a concussion. Well, that's a brain injury. So, you know, you had a concussion, but you're sent uh-huh. home. You know, you don't necessarily get all that in-depth follow-up. So your PCP can be the right. one to kind of um, help guide you. Sometimes they might send you to um, an outpatient clinic for, you know, a workup for dysphagia if you are reporting those swallowing problems, and then you kind of go from there. But I'd say the best place to start is your PCP. Your primary care. Um, yes. And would that typically be like a occupational therapist? Like, what type of therapist would they probably be working with? If they have this stage, they're typically going to work with a speech therapist, a speech pathologist. 
speech so, therapist. Uh, okay. Yes. They typically, if you know, if they come as an outpatient, we would typically have some different things to watch them um, eat and drink just, you know, sitting next to them, and we kind of look for some different signs and symptoms of dysphagia. And that can be things like feeling like food is going down the wrong pipe, um, coughing, mm-hmm. you know, before, during, or immediately after the swallow. Um, you might notice excessive wet vocal quality. Um, uh, you might see, you know, excessive runny nose, watery eyes, those types of things. So um, we would first look at look at that and see if you're having any of those um, types of issues and then kind of determine what the most appropriate diet is. Or if we feel like we might want to see, um, get a little more information, we might recommend an instrumental swallow assessment where we take uh, take you to an x-ray suite, give you different things to eat and drink that have a barium contrast in them to watch and see where it's going, to make sure it's all going the right way and not the wrong way and down into your airway. And then how do you help correct it? Is, are there exercises you work on, or is it something that just has to clear up on its own? Um, we do. We do have exercises. We have different therapy modalities that we can use. So, um, you know, we, we would work on specific exercises, and we also have things like um, neuromuscular electrical stimulation called vital stim uh, that might work to help stimulate the nerves that innervate the muscles to cause a muscle contraction. Um, so, you know, a combination of things. Um, sometimes they use this uh, feedback device that tells you how hard you're swallowing. So they, it's like a combination um, treatment session. Now, what about someone who is, let's just say, five or more years out from their injury and they've never really had any proper care? Because, I mean, this is a story I hear over and over again, right? Um, and and they, they've been having, you know, issues with um, swallowing and choking. Um, is this something you can still work on even, you know, let's say five or ten years out post-injury? I mean, if it's like a true muscle weakness where it's related to weak muscle function, then we can certainly try to strengthen um, strengthen the muscles. You know, there is kind of a period where you say optimal recovery may be up to a year, 18 months post right. your TBI. Um, but, you know, you can certainly see some, some positive changes um, depending on what the root of the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you talk about how um, there can be a range of, it can be just a mild problem or it can be very severe where someone's on a feeding tube. Um, so someone on a feeding tube that is conscious, like I'm, I'm not talking someone in a coma, but somebody who is conscious and on a feeding tube, um, how are you working with that person to get them back to eating eating with their mouth? So um, we would look at the specific deficit. So um, sometimes we might see some, you know, tongue and lip weakness, and that can cause issues with actually being able to manage food and getting your food from the front of your mouth to the back of your mouth to get it ready to swallow. So we have specific exercises that we do. It's just kind of funny to think about working out your tongue or your lips, but, you know, they're muscles right. just like any other muscle in the body. So, you know, we can do resistive exercises with your with your tongue and your lips and um, 
we also can do the electrical stimulation to the to the face um, to help with that muscle contraction. So we would start start there, you know, try to strengthen up those muscles and get it to where someone's able to better manage different consistencies. So in the meantime, you know, this person is conscious, they're, you know, they're more aware of what's going on. Um, it might be that we have to start at a lower level diet, like softer solids or even pureed um, foods because of that muscle weakness in the mouth. Um, so, you know, we'd start with the diet modification with the exercises, and then as they start getting stronger, we can then start increasing the difficulty in the diet level. Um, so that's for kind of the oral stuff. And then when we when we deal with the pharyngeal phase of swallowing, those are the muscles in your, your throat and your neck, um, we would do the same thing. We'd do exercises. We would do diet trials to help, you know, practice that swallow function. It depends on what muscle group is affected, but, um, you know, we kind of tailor it per the person and kind of what we've seen in their either instrumental assessments or what we're seeing and feeling and observing at, at bedside as well. So, Devin, maybe you could speak a little bit about um, someone who is on more of like a soft food or pureed food diet. How do you work with them to make sure they're getting the proper nutrients? Are you supplementing that with like vitamin like um, pills, or how how do you work all that? Yeah, and it's yeah, it varies uh, patient to patient. But yeah, we'll base it off of obviously observing the calories then the patient's consuming throughout the day, um, and doing food preference is usually the initial thing that we'll do is see if there's certain foods that patients prefer. Even though if there are pureed, they'll still be the same foods they normally would eat at home. Um, or we'll find uh-huh. food that is in a pureed consistency, like mashed potatoes. That's always a good go-to for most patients. Um, and we'll usually use those things kind of as a staple until they're eating a little bit better. Um, what we can do is, yes, we can supplement um, either through a, a multivitamin or different minerals, um, or we can do a supplement like a, like a protein shake, like an Ensure or Boost-type shake, uh, if those patients uh-huh. are warranted and need as well. So, there are options of different things to do. Initially, a lot of patients who are on a puree diet are, are usually on a thick and liquid as well, and so dehydration is very high. Um, so patients may need intermittent um, IV fluids to maintain hydration until they're doing better with their fluid intake. Um, so there's different things we address. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's definitely vitamins and minerals. The multivitamin is usually beneficial, but there are specific ones for brain injuries, things like omega-3s, choline, uh, stuff that will help with brain function as well. Um, and we focus on a diet that obviously is focused on their medical history as well. Um, and we focus on good fats to make sure the brain is functioning well. Yeah, you know, you just brought up an interesting point. You know, I've been thinking food, but some people have trouble even just swallowing water. Um, so I, that is, that's a very valid concern is getting dehydrated because they're not drinking enough because they have trouble drinking. Do, you want to, do either one of you want to talk to that? No, um, and, and that's one of the biggest concerns here we have. And, and um, you know, the thickener that we do use, a lot of different hospital settings has a taste to it as well, on top of it not being a normal texture for most patients. But we'll find ways to flavor things or provide different types of fluids other than just water. Uh, if a patient prefers different things like juices um, and different flavoring items. So that's kind of how we address it here. Um, do you want to touch bases on, on free water and things like that? Yeah, so um, 
So liquids tend to perform very quickly in the mouth and in the pharyngeal cavity. So, you know, if you just take a cup of water and pour it on a table, the liquid spreads out, you know, pretty far and pretty quick. It's kind of the same thing, and you have lots of little crevices back in your throat, and you have your airway and your esophagus. So things can kind of get away from people if they have that slowed coordination. Um, so we do thicken mm -hmm. the liquids to help control, control the speed of the liquid. Um, so it gives people a little bit more time to kind of prepare it in the oral cavity, and then when it goes back, it's not as fast, and then it also doesn't spread as, as quickly. Um, so we definitely do uh, quite often have to alter liquids, you know, in addition to the dietary modifications that we're making. Um, and, you know, that can be a really big issue for some people because, you know, they want their coffee the way they have it at home. They don't want their coffee thickened. <laughs> You know what I mean. So, right. <laughs> so we do run into those problems, but um, you know we do have some options for some people. There's the Fraser-free water protocol. Um, the issue with that, specifically related to TBI survivors, though, can sometimes be the cognitive aspect of it, where people don't always remember necessarily the rules that are supposed to be followed um, for a protocol like that. And that's basically that. You know, if you wake up right and you brush your teeth, brush your tongue, brush everywhere in your oral cavity, you can have some, some thin water or some small ice chips to kind of keep your mouth moist and for pleasure um, because we are minimizing the bacteria count in your oral cavity by performing really great oral care before you do it. Now, you can do that right up until the time it comes time to eat, and then you have to go back to your thickened liquids or whatever has been recommended to you by the speech therapist. Um, and then after your meal, same thing. You can brush really well, um, try to get all food particles, bacteria out of your mouth again, and then you can go back to having small sips of water. And that can really help people stay hydrated um, when they're on thickened liquids. But, but there is that aspect of, with brain injury in particular, you know, are they going to remember the rules? Will they actually follow yeah. the rules? You know, and that could be an issue because, you know, people just can't remember sometimes because of short-term memory or immediate memory issues following a traumatic brain injury. So, yeah, we kind of have to take that. That's, yeah, that's, that's definitely a huge factor with brain injury is forgetting. And I can absolutely see someone, you know, on a thickened liquid diet and they just, oh, to have it, go to the faucet and get the regular water and then kind of choke on it. I can absolutely see that um, being a problem. So Lauren and Devin, we are almost out of time. We have a couple minutes, just about two minutes left. Um, do either of you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I mean, I think that if, um, if you feel like you're having any of those signs of dysphagia, the coughing with meals, like frequent coughing with meals, mm -hmm. with liquids, with solids. You're not able to really manage the food in your mouth. It's coming out at the front or you feel like it's going over the base of your tongue too fast. Um, and you are not in a facility like where we work in a hospital um, or someplace where you can readily be seen by someone. I think it's important to follow up with your doctor to make sure it's being managed because it can lead to some issues um, like pneumonia or other infections that can be quite serious and require hospitalization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, 
you know, I, this is something I see come up in my Facebook group a lot, people asking, you know, do you have trouble swallowing? Do you choke on, on drinking water a lot? So um, I really do think, you know, a lot of people, we get sent home. You know, you're fine. You can walk. You can talk. There's no bleeding. You go home. And, you know, all of our systems have been disrupted. Um, and so I think, you know, this is a really great topic because I hear it come up a lot and nobody really knows what it actually is um, with the dysphagia. So I appreciate you two being here and talking about it because I think it sounds like it's actually fairly simple for a doctor to diagnose it if, you know, if they're given the information from the patient. Is that correct? Yeah, typically it is. There are some people who might have a little bit of um, trouble with sen uh, sensory issues after having a brain injury, but if you are having outward signs like that, the doctor will most likely be able to pick up on that just by your description. Awesome. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you both so much for being here. This was really great information. Um, thank you, Devin and Laura, for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Amy. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And you can find all of our previous episodes at facesoftbi.com. And you can also subscribe through iTunes, and it's Faces of TBI on iTunes. So thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. I will see you all again next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>